Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Guten Tag and Vigetis Inan Super Nintendos. Welcome to NVC episode 611. I am your host, Seth Macy. Joining us today, lender of Gravitas, Imran Khan. Hello, hi. <laughs> Industry legend, Kat Bailey. As we all know, I am the happiest and lightest person here. <laughs> yeah. And the only community manager that matters, Jada Griffin. Good morning as well. 
Donka, Donka. So we had a little breaking news beep, 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 beep in my ear right now before we recorded. Alan Wake Remaster is coming to Nintendo Switch. It was announced just before we hit the record button. And perhaps even bigger news than that, Pokemon Home will add support for Legends Arceus, Brilliant Diamond, and Shining Pearl soon. Kat, I believe you wrote that story. Can you uh, elaborate on what soon might be? Oh, okay. Well, I did. I wrote the Alan Wake story. I didn't write the Pokemon Home story. Oh, uh, man, I just embarrassed myself in front of Imran. Yeah, it's been a kind of a long time coming uh, for Pokemon Home because Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl came out, of course, last fall. And then Legends Arceus came out in January. And I think a lot of people were expecting the announce the support to be announced back on Pokemon Day which was, I believe, a couple months ago at this point. But it did not happen. So we've all kind of been waiting very anxiously to be able to move our Pokemon from Legends Arceus and Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl and uh, to Pokemon Sword and Shield and whatnot. And we're going to do that. It's going to be great. They explained everything about how it's going to be going as usual. But the cool thing that's going to be really great is that if you shift Pokemon from Legends Arceus, you're going to get a free Turtwig, uh, sorry, Rowlet, uh, you know, various starters <laughs> from Legends Arceus. And let's say Casey's not here, so she can explain it very clearly in a way that I cannot. Um, and you also get the uh, Sinnoh starters from Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl if you end up Ooh. moving those. So uh, with their hidden abilities and everything. Ooh. So at this point, uh, it's been well worth the wait. And I'm very excited to finally be able to do this to finally get my pal Chimchar into Pokemon Sword and Shield. The time has come. The time is now. It's also introducing strange balls. Yeah. Which are just weird. They're they're actually cubes. That's why they're so strange. (laughs) I kind of wonder if the the delay on Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl was because that game was very glitchy for a while, and Mm. you could just endlessly clone Mm. Pokemon. So attaching that to home meant that I, economics 101, you're introducing inflation into the Pokemon market, essentially. Yes. No, yeah, increasing I mean, the Pokemon them, yeah. supply. Yeah, I mean, there's been previous generations where there's all times you're getting, especially with like the mystery trade and uh, what was it? I forget whatever the, the random trade upload was. But there were so many like glitched Pokemon and stuff that could come through that from people who used to use the Game Sharks and all the other cheat devices to hack all these Pokemon and sent and uploaded them. And it was just, it was a, I'm sure it was a nightmare for Nintendo, um, just the optics on it. So I'm glad they kind of waited with all the issues that we heard with Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for Hokan Home. And I know there's probably a lot of competitive people that are really excited to bring some of their shinies and stuff from Arceus Ooh. and get them trained up to compete and stuff like that. You're gonna have shiny tournaments. Now, this is a, a subscription program. I'm um, not mistaken. Generally, that was my understanding of it. Uh, I haven't looked into the most recent news story about it. I don't know if Kat has more clarification than I do. Yeah, but, I have a uh, Pokemon Home subscription. <laughs> <laughs> Peddling false information here. Oh my gosh, being put on the spot. <laughs> I was just. I said I don't know if she does, <laughs> but yeah, to my understanding, like the previous ones, I believe were somewhat subscription based, and you had to pay a little bit of money per month, and that allowed I think it was you like to five like, bucks or something. Yeah, it was yeah. cheap. Uh, but you were able to store a bunch of Pokemon in essentially like a bank, and then you could transfer them to whatever versions that you connected to that bank. Um, 
is my understanding. I never used it. So do not quote me on these details, oh, everybody God. on the internet. Well, but that is I've my understanding. I used it, but I don't remember anything about it other than I used it. So I <laughs> <laughs> absolutely useless. There's but... a Pokemon Home premium plan. Oh boy. Yep. For one month is two ninety nine. Well, that's actually not not very yep. bad at all. Mm -hmm. Okay. There it is. Two ninety nine for premium. There does that mean that there are different tiers and it gets very confusing? Like there's PlayStation? a basic and a premium. Okay. Yep. So basic and you can't you move the Pokemon from Pokemon Bank if you don't have the premium plan. So you need to have the premium plan to actually be able to move them around. Wait. So by from do you mean you can put them in there but not take them back out if you don't have the premium plan? I mean, you got to get that interest, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a CD of Pokemon locked up for five years. <laughs> that, that investment's going to pay off one day. I think Pokemon Bank was the 3DS one, though. Yes. Pokemon yes. Home is, okay. Yeah. That yeah, is... You can't move them from the DS generation, the 3DS gen generation. I, mean, I do wonder can't. if at some point, uh, Pokemon runs the risk of actually being too complicated for kids. Like, I mean, we got that pet. We got to that point a long time ago, Imran. <laughs> but also, I wonder. This is probably not a thing for kids. This is a thing for like, not to call anyone out, adults who play still play Pokemon. That right. You want to keep your, again, not to call anyone out, Chimchar from seven generations ago, and use them in modern games. Exactly, very, and it's I feel very called out right now, Imran. <laughs> not, now. I very much said I wasn't calling anyone out, Cat. It's for kids. It's for 10-year-old kids 10 years from now when they're 20 and they're like, man, I wish I had my old Pokemans. And so they load <laughs> up their Switch and bring it into uh, Pokemon Virtual Reality, which is where all the world will be. But anyway, that is breaking Pokemon and Alan Wake news. Yesterday, however, there was a little bit bigger news, the Indie World Showcase. We're going to talk about some of our favorite games from, uh, I don't know, I don't want to poison the well, but kind of a uneventful indie world in my opinion i wasn't that excited about about much so but i am curious imran what excited you from yesterday's indie world showcase there wasn't like i thought that the new game from aggro crab looked really cool i don't know that like i'm you know chomping at the bit for it but just like looking at it like okay that's a thing i will play i just thought gunbrella looked really interesting yes and for those who are unaware it's a gun that's an umbrella Yes. It's all you need to know. It reminds right. me of that, like, that part in Sekiro where someone just says you're going to the gun fort, and that's it. They don't tell you any more things about it. So I hear a gun brella, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's that same part of my brain lighting up. Watching this trailer, it was like, it was like basically 007 meets Kingsman meets, uh, has both have hired the penguin from Batman. It's the penguin <laughs> working for the Kingsman and supplied by Q from 007. Um, totally forgot the penguin had a gun that was an umbrella. Yeah, so that that that's where my mind canon is going with this right now, with the little bit of information. And so um, it's a it's a Batman game. Yeah, yeah, and it's got the indie sort of eight bit or sixteen bit pixelated aesthetic that is requirement of all or fifty percent of all indie games have to have it, which I am a fan of. So I'm mm -hmm. excited for it too. Cat, what excited you from the Indie World Showcase yesterday? Anybody here ready for Ooblets? I'm into Ooblets. I'm into Ooblets a little bit. Very yeah. wholesome. Yes, I like wholesome. I like raising little little creatures. I'll, I'll be honest, I thought Ooblets came out ages ago, though I think that was just the early access version. This is yeah. the 1.0 that's coming out in the summer. So 
Uh, I would keep an eye on Ooblets, actually. I think there's a non-zero chance that it actually ends up being pretty successful. Yeah, I, I played that game in early access for, I want to say, a, a month. It's, it is good, but at the time, there was not much to do. So I'm hoping the 1.0 version actually does make good on the promise. What's the sort of what's the point of Ooblets? What kind of of it, uh, of mischief are you getting up to? It's like a I would probably say it's like a cross section of like Stardew and Pokemon, but like instead of battling, you dance. Everything you just said is so appealing. <laughs> yeah, it, and then it's you a said dance at the end of it. Yeah, so, so just, there are dance battles. Yes, y you and the Ooblets dance together, and you dance at Ooblets. I'm kind of into that. Yeah, I'm it's a it's that. a very good idea. Just there was not enough to do in the early access version. So, um, hoping that's now rectified itself. I mean, it looks like Cat said very wholesome and extremely adorable. But is was there anything else that excited you? Not really, honestly. Really? Yeah. Wow. It was, I was kind of ex usually with these indie worlds. There's that one game that makes me go, "Oh, okay, oh, yeah. I'm really into this." But this one, I'm like, okay, yeah, that is a collection of games that are coming out. So, uh, and the Imran, I think, already highlighted the ones that jumped out at me, like Umbrella, which I think Devolver Digital is always kind of on the level uh, yeah. with the games mm -hmm. that they end up putting out. Um, I don't think Umbrella has a chance to hit as hard as, say, Loop Hero, which mm, came out oh, uh, love me a loop around hero. this time last year. So, mm -hmm. but yeah. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. All right. Jada, what about you? There's actually quite a few for me. Um, All right, you know we we got to see sound we got to see Soundfall uh, last one of the earlier directs. Um, so I'm excited to see that that's uh, still on its way and coming soon. Um, I've been re-addicted to um, Slay the Spire, so Wild Frost has my name all over it. Uh, tactical roguelike deck builders. That's just that's my cup of tea, like every day of the week. Um, and then also did, 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 Cult of the Lamb. I mean that looks just yeah, that phenomenal. Looks like I, I, it's cute things that get to that potentially <laughs> perform sacrifice ritual sacrifices and blood like yeah. what's what's not to want in cult of the lamb like it just looks fantastic um i'm very excited to see how it actually plays um in once like with actual hands-on um but it's got an interesting enough premise to where i'll probably dive in pretty early to that one um and then another crab's treasure like yeah like Come on, man. Like playing a little hermit crab, going underwater, fighting other crabs. Like good crabs, bad crabs. Everybody's got crabs. But you got to fight the crabs. <laughs> I love how <laughs> dedicated Agro Crab is to just making crab games. Like yeah. they're not even like faffing about at all. They're just saying, yeah, no, this is our thing. We're going to make crab game. This is a Souls like. It's about a crab. Yeah. I, I freaking love it. I love the idea. It looks like, you know, your armor basically deteriorates and you've just got to find another piece of. <laughs> trash oh for, god for everyone who complains about it in breath of the wild is going to be complaining about it again <laughs> oh i hate that my my nautilus shell deteriorated after five minutes <laughs> yeah. you just got to get better at dodging that's just well, what it's about that's what it i just think that aggro crab is kind of um brilliant in that so many souls like games are deathly serious and so mm -hmm. i have a souls like game that is just doesn't take itself seriously at all is a lovely concept yeah. Hmm. yeah there was an announcement in the japanese version of the indie world that was not in the american one which is what i was anticipating was a couple of months ago they revealed amori was coming to switch but they didn't give a date the japanese version said the date will be june 
So mm. I'm I've been very much anticipating that. I've been waiting for it for a long time. Hope like ideally when that game comes out, I will not be busy because from what I've heard of that game, it's been on Steam for a while. That it's supposed to be what people call the spiritual successor to Undertale in some ways. That like there's been a lot of Undertale likes, but this is the one that gets closest and most interestingly <laughs> to having something else to say about it. So yeah, I'm very I excited it last about that game. Year. I reviewed it for RPS and. It was uh, it was very good and very very dark actually. Mm. So uh, worth checking out for sure because it I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it goes in unexpected directions, but there are some very clever bits in the way that it handles its storytelling and its choices, and it um, like I said, as it kind of comes together and you start it starts to reveal itself and the the impetus behind everything you go, ooh, yeah, okay, that is actually really dark. But mm. I, um, if you're not familiar with Omori, it's basically a JRPG about a kid who is kind of a shut-in, and he uh, is obviously very traumatized, and he has a group of friends, um, and it splits time between a fantasy world and then kind of a real world. And you're kind of unraveling the mystery of, what exactly happened to make the main character be like so legit traumatized and everything and wow. you could take you you have decisions to make that can take that character in very very dark directions so yeah worth checking out i think i would have not guessed that from the the gameplay footage i was like yeah. oh it's another uh, it looks very game. Yeah. oh <laughs> and like very colorful like especially when you're in the um the fantasy world it has this Earthboundy Crayola looking kind of thing, lots of pastels. And you're like, wow, this, this is so bright and fun and interesting. Uh, but then you get into the other stuff that's much more indie horror, I want to say. So it's hmm. it's goth and then pastel goth. Yeah, exactly. Cool. It's also quite beautiful, though. Yeah. I love the art style. I am really digging this a lot, actually. Yeah. 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 When they introduced it in Indie World a couple of events ago, they started with a warning, like, hey, this game is way darker than it looks. Like, be aware of that before you go in. Very much so. Wow. Um, oh, can we man, talk the battle screen looks about so the cool. game that wasn't actually at the Indie World, which was Silk Song? <laughs> yeah. Every single Indie World, everybody oh goes, God. but where's Silk Song? I think Hollow Knight was trending on Twitter yeah. after the Indie World Direct. Uh, it's just never going to happen, folks. It's never going to happen. It doesn't actually yeah. exist. It's funny wait until you... I finish Hollow Knight. Which is never going to happen. <laughs> so, <laughs> it'll be in a real direct. I mean, like a full direct. It, yeah. It's a. It's graduated. Mm. Like the first game was at an E3 direct. I don't think this one's like goes any lower than that. Yeah. No, I, I had agree. To yeah, I had to laugh at the speculation that Silk Song was going to shadow drop. Like, <laughs> a game like that's not shadow dropping. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, that'll have months of pre-orders before we actually get it. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Mm hmm. I know the the three seconds before I went hide chat on Nintendo's official YouTube feed, it was just like Silk Song. So it was, you know, people just spamming Silk Song uh, thousands and thousands of times. I am a little surprised that nobody mentioned the game that I am most excited about. That's a Leckhead. It just looks cute and fun to me. And that's mm -hmm. your little man with an electric head, like that white zombie song. <laughs> <laughs> but in you know. Apic graphics, and I think it was it was uh, it's like a student project that is now moving forward. It looks very good and fun to me, so that's the one that I was the most excited for. Yeah, I mean, super kind of almost like Mega Man vibes, but yeah, not, like a puzzly. I don't know. 
I'm surprised nobody else is excited. It looks like I, that kind of game you you see in Nintendo Power as a kid, and you're like, huh, that looks interesting. Yeah. Kind of just never play until you're an adult. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. It's in some collection somewhere. Yeah. You come across. But that's coming out this summer, and I'm going to play it, and I'm going to throw my head at things. I can't wait to do that. <laughs> as a former electrician, I'm, I'm probably the most qualified of anybody to play this game. I've been electrocuted quite a few times in my life, so I think I, that might give you a run for your money, maybe? Does it's, that count? I, you got to be careful with that because you could develop superpowers. Yeah. Oh yeah, lots of times. I've been electrocuted <laughs> once. Like, not I've not reached the the multiple times milestone. Yeah, no, yeah. I've had to I've had to do some repairs on houses and stuff like that. Oh so, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. there's sometimes electrical stuff. It's uh, it's kind of like a, a a point of embarrassment if you are a professional electrician and you get bit. And to the point where it hurts, like, you know, every now and then you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. But there was a time where I actually got like locked up and I couldn't move for a minute because I was laying on the top of a freezer that was grounded to the cement, which meant I was just the perfect conduit for all kinds of voltage to just go through my arm Mm. and really mess me up. I'm playing with that stuff, kid. Thankfully, it was only 120. If it had been 277, I probably like there's a good chance I could have been like massive. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about electricity. This is a game yeah. show. This is a video also, game. If you could detach your head, that would have been much more useful, I think. <laughs> if I could yes. have detached my head and just thrown it and asked for help. Hey, I'm uh, getting fried over here. Zoop, head comes back, and then somebody comes and saves the day. This year, I decided I actually wanted to like follow hockey a little bit more than just the most casual of casuals, so I subscribed to a service that streams all of the NHL to your television uh the boston bruins home opener i went to watch it and boom blackout restrictions apply which i thought was kind of ridiculous because i'm still 200 miles away from boston but whatever had i had nordvpn that wouldn't have been a problem i would have just gone in changed my settings to another geographic area and boom i could have been watching all the boston bruins home games like it was nothing at all So now I have NordVPN and I can watch the home games of my local teams streaming without being frustrated. It's the same thing with like Netflix. It has all these complicated licensing rules, which from one country to another don't really make sense. So something you could watch on South Korean Netflix, you won't be able to watch on the United States Netflix unless NordVPN, boom, switch to South Korea and you're watching whatever Korean drama that you want I highly recommend you do that. I haven't done it myself, but people seem to enjoy them. And who am I to try to bring down people's enjoyment? Uh, NordVPN, more than just entertainment and sports availability, it's going to protect you, especially when you're traveling, when you're using public Wi-Fi. People are trying to get in there. They're creeping on you. Bad actors, people trying to steal your password, your bank account details. Who knows what the government's doing these days? I can't keep track. They're all over the damn place. NordVPN... It's going to protect you. It's going to protect up to six devices because I know you have at least that many devices in front of you right now that can hook up to the internet. Boom. Fastest VPN in the world. You're not going to get any buffering. You're not going to get any lagging. Uh, It's going to stop your ISP from bandwidth throttling, which they do. That's kind of sneaky, especially how much you're paying those guys. There's threat protection to protect you from viruses and malicious malware and whatever else. Uh, Um unsavory actors are out there. If you want to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash NintendoVC. That's nordvpn.com slash NintendoVC. Victor Charlie. 
Uh, that link is also going to give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There is no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nice of them, and I appreciate that. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Well, that was the Indie World um, showcase that happened yesterday. It was a little bit... I mean, I'm not saying it was bad, but... It was fine. It was... It was, it was, it was, yeah, it was whatever. It was a big whatever. There's games coming out and they're made by Indie Studio. Now let's talk about the big N. They had their sales, or excuse me, their earnings call. And it was exciting. If you're someone like me who loves to look at like balance sheets and read those uh, fiscal reports, it was my favorite part of college was taking an accounting class and being able to decipher all that stuff. It's just wonderful. But really the most helpful part is when they just do like a, a human readable presentation and give you stats. Like, I don't know, Nintendo sold more games in uh, fiscal year 2021 than it has ever in its entire history. 235 million games sold for fiscal year 2021. Switch sold 23 million consoles. Uh, 13 and a half million of those were just regular Switch. Uh, 5.8 million were OLEDs and 3.7 were lights. I'm kind of surprised that the OLED sold that many, but at the same time, I kind of thought it would sell more. But as great as that sounds to Nintendo's investors, that's actually a 20% year-over-year drop uh, in console sales. To be fair, fiscal year 2020, 2020, no one was going outside for some reason I can't really recall. So... People were anxious to get their hands on a Nintendo Switch to drive away the madness and boredom that was always right there, gnawing at your psyche. Pocket Monsters, uh, excuse me, Pokemon, BD, and SP combined to sell 14.5 million copies. Arceus sold 12.6 million. Great job, Pokemon Arceus. That is staggering (laughs) and extremely impressive results. Kirby which came out in March, sold 2.65 million already. And then Metroid Dread sold 2.9 million copies, just shy of 3 million since its launch in October, making it the most successful Metroid game to date. However, if you're a member of our Facebook group, which should be, you see there's a lot of conversation about Metroid Dread's performance. Was it lackluster? Or was it incredible? Everybody was having lots and lots of arguments about it. And a lot of the question blocks were about Metroid Dread's performance. So I present it to the panel now. Was Metroid Dread a flop? Imran, what do you think? No, not by any metric. It's a, <laughs> it was the best-selling, like you said, the best-selling Metroid game in the series. It doesn't have the legs that most Nintendo games have. Like, if it were selling, if it had Mario in the title, it probably would have sold another... 2 million over the last quarter, but it didn't. And Mario it, Dread. <laughs> it, Metroid games have like, I, I'm sure they scoped this game with the intention of, yeah, this will sell about two to 3 million copies. And that's probably it, which is completely fine for this series, especially when you consider that 
this is not the Metroid Vanity Project. This is the we're gonna put this game out and maybe sell a couple of co- like sell a couple of million to Metroid fans. The Metroid Vanity Project is Prime Four. If mm. that only sells three million copies, then there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with that one hundred percent. Cat, what about you? What are you thinking? I agree with everything Imran said. I mean, they outsourced <laughs> it, most of its development to Mercury Steam. Um, they were working on it internally in Nintendo as well, of course. But Metroid Dread, it was a fairly, it was a brilliant game for what it was, but it was also a fairly small scale game. And I think that a, a 2.5D traditional Metroid is a somewhat tough sell, even though it was one of the temple releases on the Nintendo Switch last year and ended up getting a decent amount of marketing and everything. Um, of course, Metroid has never hit in Japan. J- Japan just doesn't seem to care about Metroid for whatever reason. Um, I firmly agree with Imran that Metroid Prime is the big one and has the best chance to sell, the to, to, to do serious numbers, whatever serious numbers might be to people, 10 million plus, I suppose. 2.91 um, million, all it takes. <laughs> but I agree with Imran that Metroid Dread almost certainly was scoped out to sell about this amount of money, uh, this amount of copies, and Nintendo's probably like, yeah, mad expectations ultimately. And as Imran pointed out, best-selling Metroid a game of all time. Yeah, it's hard to complain. I was actually realizing, you know, like you said, this is the, the 2.5 deep Metroid that's not going to sell like crazy. And if you think about it, all the other 2.5 the metroidvanias are indie games so the fact that a third party or excuse me a first party studio or oh my god a company like nintendo were to put a game out like this that only exists basically in the indie space is is pretty amazing and then the fact that it sold you know a record number i was reading through a lot of the facebook um comments and people I are making unfair comparisons, you know, because Kirby sold almost as many in a shorter time. That makes Metroid of it's, it's apples and oranges, mm. or it's yeah. it's you know mercenaries and cream puffs. But what do you say, Jada? Yeah, no, I mean, let, let's be real. Metroid has always been kind of the most hardcore franchise for the Nintendo franchises, whereas Pokemon, Zelda, Kirby, those are all yes, there are hardcore fans for that, but there are more. Uh, ready for a they're more available for a casual audience that can jump in and play these games at any time and just really you know regardless of your gaming skill level you can jump in and enjoy a kirby game and just play through it all the way there are a lot of people who picked up metroid dread and it was their first metroid and they're like this is really tough i don't this is not my cup of tea i'm not you know enjoying this i loved metroid dread because i love that hardcore element i love the metroidvania and having to shoot every wall to find a hidden thing um like that's something i do as a gamer in every game i play um where it makes sense at least um (laughs) never know when there's a turkey hiding behind that wall you never know um but yeah no i think i think metroid dread was a success i think like imran and cat both said i'll echo it like metroid prime 4 is really going to be very key to i think metroid's future for nintendo i don't think there's a world where we ever like see metroid games stop releasing but i do see if metroid 4 does not perform like a like a stronger game like if it doesn't perform as well as kirby does 
I could see a world where Metroid slows down um, to the pacing of like maybe Star Fox games, where we don't really get those as often, and I, that would be a that would be a shame. Uh, Metroid Prime Zero. There's all, there's also no reason to think Metroid Prime Four won't sell well. Like everything. Oh, yeah. Like I was I've been playing Astral Chain recently, and I looked at the sales for Astral Chain, and it did pretty well for a Platinum Games game. Like there's a there's an effect on Switch where. If you put in a reasonable effort towards marketing and development, your mm -hmm. game's probably gonna do really well. I don't if assuming Metroid Prime 4 is not like the day before Breath of the Wild 2 or whatever, that game's probably gonna do fine. Yeah. 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 And I know from like uh IGN Commerce data for I haven't pulled the numbers in a long time, but you've been able to pre-order that game, Metroid Prime 4, since it was announced on Amazon. And it was like our number one most pre-ordered game for like the first two years that I was working here. And I, I think it's obviously been surpassed by now. But yeah, people don't even care. The, literally, we got the number four and everyone's like, well, here's my $60. <laughs> Whenever. I mean, it was an incredible, incredible number four reveal. I've never seen a number four revealed in such a manner as that. So, but yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree with what everybody else is saying. Like Metroid. Dread is is not a flop. It, mm. It's it's a, a massive success, and the fact that it is it bridged the gap between it got us from the 3DS to Metroid Prime Four, which at this point I'm almost certain isn't going to be on Nintendo Switch, but on the Switch's next, you know, the Nintendo's next console. But like we got this amazing game that kind of came out of nowhere. Like nobody expected this game when they announced it, and we're like, oh, okay. What if it sucks? Uh, who cares? We bought it and it was great. I love it. I think it's a, it's a critical success and it's a first 2.9 million copies. Like people would kill to sell that many of anything. Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's in their vaunted million sellers uh, graph that they have on their investor site. Like it's it's almost 3 million copies of a game that has doesn't really have a lot of broad based appeal. It just has. Um, you know, everybody knows what Metroid is, but not everybody's played it. And Jada, like you said, it is Nintendo's serious franchise. Like even the Zelda franchise, when it gets serious, you can still like go into a town and beat chickens until or Kluklus until they all come down and, and attack you. So there's always a little bit of silliness. And I'd say Metroid is probably the only game that Nintendo has that doesn't really have any silliness in it. So can I, can I ask a question really quickly? Of course. Mm -hmm. Just to play devil's advocate for a hot second. So would we agree that Metroid Dread kind of had the best possible scenario? Uh, it came out kind of during the holiday period. It was a tentpole release for Nintendo. It got a pretty solid marketing push. And it got really, really good word of mouth from a lot of different people saying, I, I, it even got nominated for Game of the Year, if I recall mm. correctly. Mm -hmm. yep. And in all of those circumstances, like, what does it say that Metroid Dread could, quote unquote, only, you know, do about as much as uh, Kirby, which uh, did not get as much marketing and mm. that kind of thing? So I think there's there's one limiting factor that we didn't actually talk about, which was that game launched alongside the Switch OLED. And if it were any other, like, hardware launch, you'd be like, yeah, that should have been, part, like, it should have gotten one-to-one -one ratio with that hardware. But because Switch OLED cost $50 more, you were essentially saying, hey, you can buy a Switch plus a game, or you can buy the new hardware and not. 
like you'd have to find the cheaper game than the, the newer Metroid. I think that does affect some people's calculus and they might just say, okay, I'll buy the OLED and then like figure out a game later. I, I think again, Metroid has a ceiling. That ceiling is probably around 3 million, especially for 2D Metroid. But for a game that they really only marketed for four months and thus didn't have that much of a big marketing spend, 3 million is probably like, I, I understand what you're saying of that. It seems low for what everything else on Switch is doing, especially like you said, Kirby did well, but Kirby also had a cartoon and a cafe that was supposed to last one month that has lasted five years. <laughs> and is much more popular in Japan. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I, the, the other thing I was observing is that so many games have benefited from the Switch effect, which is the Switch's very large install base. Um, and you could say Metroid Dread benefited from that effect as well in becoming the best selling Metroid game to date. But also, best-selling Metroid game to date isn't that high. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it hasn't had its Fire Emblem moment yet, and I'm not sure it ever no. will, but it's mm. it's doing okay. Metroid Prime, that's the Fire Emblem moment. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. If it ever comes <sighs> out. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so, because I, you know, Metroid Prime, the original for the GameCube, is like one of my favorite gaming experiences that i ever had i mean i just remember yeah reading that they were making a first person metro and thinking that is the, the stupidest thing i've ever heard how could you do such a thing it won't work and then actually playing it and being like oh my god they did it they made it work and i love it so much and i you know i i look fondly on it and so i'm god i can't wait for part four but so furikawa actually had a quote during this investor uh release that was their it was, I feel like, mistranslated a little bit as a big concern, but they're very focused on the transition to the next hardware. Yes. And one of the things they said about that was that what because with the Wii and other consoles, they just kind of dried up software for the old console until the new one came out, they don't want to do that this time, which makes me think one of the things they're talking about is probably Metroid Prime 4, a game that might come later than we think, but they still want it to hit Switch. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that... The whole story was pretty interesting. We opted not to cover it because the translation was, uh, the initial translation was a little bit sketchy, I would say. And ultimately, we wanted to see what Nintendo's official translation was going to be. Tom James, who's who's a a localizer on Twitter, translated it as basically saying, we've had very successful transitions before, but we're still taking the next one seriously, which to me reads as very boilerplate Mm -hmm. kind of PR. Um, and the, the full quote that he translated was, on the other hand, even when looking, when looking back on our past experience with hardware generation transitions, such as with the Wii and Nintendo DS, we recognize that our ability to deliver a smooth transition when we release new hardware in the future is an important priority for us. To that end, we're focusing on building long-term relationships with our consumers via Nintendo account. Yeah, I, that's something Nintendo has struggled with since the uh, the transition from the NES to the Super NES. Like they yeah. were trying to figure out how they could make that backwards compatible and it ended up, it would have just cost too much money. But yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. there's no way they're going to leave the Switch behind. I mean, I think it's just going to, whatever the next one is, it's going to be the same that they've done with all their handhelds. Like you can play all your DS games on your 3DS. You can play all your Game Boy Advance games on your DS, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I mean, uh... I could see that. I could see that where the next Switch console, next Nintendo console, has two slots for if they change how the cartridges work. Maybe it's a different shape cartridge for the new ones to where there's a slot for Switch cartridges and a slot for the other one. I can't imagine that adding that kind of spot takes up a lot of space, retail space, or not retail space, but space on the in the unit itself. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then I could also see Metroid Prime 4 being a Twilight Princess kind of moment yeah. where it was on the GameCube and the Wii. Yep. Like, I could definitely see it doing something like that and kind of being one of their flagship titles and really giving Metroid a big chance to shine by being that, like, first game you need to own on the new Switch. Yeah. No Zelda games sold gangbusters really until Breath of the Like, they sold great. They were good or well-selling games well above Metroid. But until Breath of the Wild was a tentpole release for the Switch launch, they've not, never sold the number they sold now. Like, nothing yes. has ever hit, like, mm -hmm. 25 million. To be fair, yeah. Breath of the Wild is the best game ever made by humans right. in all and of history. I'm saying all they simply have to do is make the best game ever made again. <laughs> again! Yeah. Yeah, just... You know, How hard could it be? the best game ever made. <laughs> and also, the Nintendo Switch was such a compelling case. It was like... It was... You could plug it into your TV or have it be handheld. And yeah. people were like, oh, what a neat little device. Um, and yep. so it, it, the thing practically sold itself. Killer app, great hardware, done and done. But I think that we don't know really anything about Nintendo's Switch successor, even if it will be a handheld, if it will be another Switch. Mm, if it right. will be backward yep. compatible, like we're... All we can do is speculate wildly at this point. Oh, I love to you speculate wildly, though. Yeah, my favorite thing. Do you guys, do you guys see the switches maybe turn like filling that 3ds kind of hole to where the switches like kind of stay relevant for a long time and become a like kind of a pivotal handheld versus like the and then whatever the new Nintendo console becomes like your actual plugged in always console. Hmm. I think the. I think the stupidest thing Nintendo could possibly do is not to release an enhanced version of the Nintendo Switch with backward compatibility, which means that they're definitely going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I just finished uh, reading Awada's book, like which is just oh, like so mostly good. his musings and like yeah. recorded for the book. But he had a lot of fondness for the iPad model that Apple had, which was you never you don't have well you have an ipad too but it wasn't like a new generation of uh our new hardware that was completely separate from the old thing it was okay now ipad users can move on to this but if they don't for a while that's fine i think furikawa is different but i think they'll probably do something similar with that of yeah this is the switch too move on if you would like the xbox model i think actually would work well for them mm. yeah i mm. i don't see them returning to the two pole you know where they had the handheld and the console yeah. like i think we're gonna get the hybrid i i'll go on record i don't i don't think it'll be 4k that's all i wanted to say i want to get people mad i don't think the next <laughs> i don't I think mean, it'll be come on like xbox xbox and ps no. xbox and ps5 are 4k but you can either have your 4k or you can have your 60 fps but you can't have them both so and why Steam would nintendo not 4k and handheld Right, yeah. yeah, and yeah. 4K and handheld would make no sense anyway, because it would first yeah. of all burst into flames, <laughs> or be a thousand dollars, or be a thousand dollars. Yeah, and die ten minutes later. Yeah, I, that's a big problem with the Steam Deck, and the Steam Deck only is twelve hundred by eight hundred, and the battery life is not great, and it gets hot, right? And it's it's chunky. It's a chunky boy. You want something you can just slide to your Genko jeans, because I know those are coming back. That's what the next switch is going to be. Jenko approved. I'm sorry. We can move on now to a cat take. Cat, you have a take this week based on uh, a, a game reveal, or I should say some, uh, some features of a game that just came out, which is, uh, I believe, Gotham Knights. 
sometimes on Twitter I'll vent. And this time I vented uh, somewhere along the lines of, can we please stop putting colored loot and skill trees into every single thing because they've become the de facto model for every single AAA game? It seems like this is less of a problem for Nintendo. Uh, of course, Breath of the Wild had loot, breakable loot and everything, but so many games lean hard into it. I think the reason that it bothers me is as an RPG fan who, you know, has watched the evolution of color-coded loot and skill trees mm -hmm. over the years, it's always struck me as kind of superfluous. And um, it's a lot of busy work and it puts a lot of kind of useless information on the screen. And often the skill tree doesn't really add very much to the game. I guess you you unlock some new abilities and whatnot. But I'm like, you know, I'm ready at this point for action games just to be action games. Please yeah. stop shoehorning in some loot. And I'm curious what everybody's thought is on that. Can Ooh. I go first? Yeah. Go ahead, Shayna. Yeah, so I totally agree. I feel like there's a lot of games that are just superfluously adding this into their games to add to pad their like depth. And I say that with air quotes, I'm going to get in camera range trying to find my camera. <laughs> They're adding depth to their game. There are some games that do it really well. Um, and I love I love skill trees and I love like loot and being able to gear around different builds and specs and stuff like that. Min maxing that is that's when it, the game is great. If, if it does that, it makes you want to do that. That means your system is working. But if you get like certain games that do add this and it doesn't make you do that, then it's just a waste of time. I think one of the best games that of all time that have done this was Diablo 2 back in the day, mm. playing it on PC. And you had skill trees and, you know, you could build your Amazon or your sorceress or your barbarian however you wanted based on your skill tree. You could be a sorceress and put your 50 levels into your level one firebolt and just like obliterate people with a level one spell. It would not be the best spell, but you could literally build that way. You could build your, your Amazon into a Javazon to where you're only using javelins and you just purely focus on that one skill tree. Or a bow is on and you just focus on bows yes these were these are terms that we used in diablo back in the day like and like i loved that system because it added just so much versatility to where every i i played like six sorceresses and they all played completely different because i had an ice build i had a fire build i had like a like evasion build when i was playing co-op with my friends and so like i would just draw aggro and have people chase me and they would they would just whirlwind with their barbarian and kill everything i love being able to do that in those games but there's so many games that have like just like, oh, we can do that too. And like, hey, here is 3% extra damage for this one skill tree. Oh, hey, you get 4% fire resistance if you're hit from a ranged attack. Like, that does not do me any good. Like, give me meaningful upgrades in my skill tree or just build those into the character by default. Like, do not into the level up by default. Do not make me have to invest in minimal gains. Um, one game that I did like that's recent that did kind of minimal gains and stuff separately was uh, Marvel's Avengers. They had like a comic system. So every time you finish certain missions, you would pick up comic books. And after you finish collections of these comics, you'd get percentage increase to different stats. That is totally fine. That is a great way to handle if you want to add those little extra like 1% HP bonuses 
that is a great way to do it. Put it as collectibles that you can gather and stuff like that into your game. That way, if players who want that extra stat stuff can get it, and if players who don't care about that stuff, they don't have to worry about chasing down those things. Wow. Yeah, it's funny that she mentioned Diablo 2 since it invented color-coded loot and yeah. was the game that brought skill trees over from strategy games into RPGs. Uh, what David Brevik did with that game was actually really interesting, and I encourage you to go read up on it if you want to kind of understand the evolution of maybe RPGs and uh, AAA games in general. But I agree with you, Jada. I think the biggest thing is with a lot of these blockbuster games is that you're end up lugging along a lot of loot that's just completely useless and so you're like uh, just get rid of all this crap that's giving me mm -hmm. you know a 0.001 percent damage increase because a lot of the action games don't want to end up kind of hurting the actual action and so mm -hmm. uh, it's like they bolt on the skill tree or the actual loot system and that doesn't ultimately mean anything uh i think Ultimately, Elden Ring, which is an RPG, did a pretty good job. And I think the the reason that game works is because there are so many distinct builds that you can go on, and they do a really good job of integrating the stats and the actual items and the accessories and everything And a lot of these other games. Simply don't. So if you're not really ready to go all in and make your game an RPG, just don't do it anymore. <laughs> Be an action game. It's okay. I think Elden Ring works because, or partly because... Even if I pick up a weapon that does not work for me or is worse than what I have, maybe it will tell me who Elmer of the Briar is or something like that. Like, it'll explain, it'll give me something I did not have beforehand. I mean, the main thing is there's a trend, I guess, in gaming that numbers go up makes consumers happier. And like anything that any trend you follow, if you do it badly, then it's going to work out. And like, I, I've not played Gotham Knights, but it looked like, if not, it looks superfluous at best and maybe just like annoying at worst. I think there are games that do do it well and they do it in the background well enough that like you get the same serotonin hit from, oh, I got more things or I get more attack power now so I can kill these things faster without it being just in your face. I think God of War is a very good example of that, that added mm -hmm. a loot system without really bothering you with it. So it, yeah. it really just depends like how are they playtesting it? Are they playtesting it? beyond oh this people these people like this thing but they don't necessarily know why they like it and do you know why they like it like a designers actually having meetings understanding why this is important for the game's design i watched that gotham knights trailer and the main thing that bothered me was at one point a character did something called a soul jump and they did not explain what on earth that means <laughs> like i don't know why a batman character is doing a soul jump that can let him fly got that soul power <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i'm gonna i'm torn because okay, i agree like, we don't need to have it in everything but i i do like it when it is in stuff I, but at the same time i get paralyzed by by choice like how should i how should i fill out my skill tree oh what if i do it wrong and then i regret it later and then i have to respec and then i have to go find a guide and i don't want to do that i just want to make my my character as powerful as possible I think I'm in favor of of skill trees in even in places where they don't necessarily belong if they build in a mechanic where I can intentionally feel like I'm breaking it. And I can't think of an example now, but I've stacked some skills and I've got, you know, some loot that gives me these powers and I feel like I've discovered some secret combination that is making me this god tier 
uh, player when really it's cooked into the game. But don't tell me that it's cooked into the game. Just make me feel like I've broken the game. I like Borderlands 2 would do that sometimes. Yep. And you would just yeah, feel Border- like, was- yeah, like it really well. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's all right. We, we can talk about Borderlands 2. That's, that's a very funny I was going to say, like, you're describing Borderlands 2, like, to, like, uh, I don't even know what word I'm looking for. I'm totally scatterbrained today. Well, no. I... But uh, to a... <laughs> you're bring yeah, you're like Borderlands Two like did a really good job with its skill trees to where you no matter what kind of build you went, you never felt like you were making a wrong decision. Yeah. If there is a point in testing when people are, te- you know, when they're testing their games before and they're testing builds on skill trees, if you are testing the game and you feel like, hey, this allocation of points doesn't feel impactful to the character, that means that skill tree needs to be adjusted and affected. It needs to be improved because other people are going to randomly put points and stuff. That's why it like goes back to being Kat's earlier points. Like these need points need to be impactful. If you're putting in yeah. a skill tree, each thing needs to be impactful. I should never feel like I'm oh like I picked the worst I picked the worst skill. You should feel like, oh this school's kill is really cool. This one is also really cool. I'm gonna go with this one because I like the effects or I like the the bonuses or the play style that this one gives to me. It lends more to my play style. Not that Oh, this one is obviously better because it gives more gun damage, accuracy, reload versus, oh, if I get shot, I have a chance to reflect bullets. Like, like it's just, it's kind of a weird dynamic. Like, you want to make sure it's very, like, no matter what skill somebody takes, they should always feel like they're getting an improvement on their character, not, like, a meaningful improvement. Yeah. So, I totally hear you on that, Seth. Yeah, it should be like, uh, it should be like the A-10 Warthog, which they came up with a gun, and then they said, build a plane around it. Come up with a skill tree and then build the game, not the other way around. That's that's what I think about. So basically, what I'm saying is, Cat, you're right. Your take was, was as usual. Mm-hmm. Was right. I did it. <laughs> Woo! Put that one on the score yeah. sheet. So, any other thoughts on skill trees and loot loot systems? As usual, I blame World of Warcraft. Oof. <laughs> World of Warcraft is such Oof. a weird game because on paper it seems like it's something I should have lost my life to, but I could never get into it more than a few hours and I'm like, this is not this is not for me well actually all mmos i've never been able to play an mmo and mm. enjoy it with the exception of back in the uh the telnet days and uh when i would play uh muds krishnak fidar what's up text-based <laughs> dungeon games <laughs> how old i am i got kicked out of my college um computer lab for that so anyway that is cat take skill trees do not belong in everything Unless they're good. And then they should be in something. So let's talk about what we have been playing. And a quick reminder, you can check out the playlist for every game discussed during NVC by pointing your browser to IGN.com slash playlists. And I recommend you do that. So Kat, what have you been playing as of late? Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak is coming out soon. Yes. And they did they've done new streams. They've been revealing new monsters. But I've been playing Monster Hunter World Iceborne, which is still an amazing game. I've been playing it with my regular group, and uh, I'm well into the end game at this point. Nice. I have uh, the Raging Bracadillos set with the Light Break Blade and everything. And um, we were just playing last night, and I finally got my armor set all done and all completed. I love Monster Hunter so much mm-hmm. because... And Casey uh, can attest to this. Uh, it does such a good job. First of all, it's beautiful. The art mm-hmm. style is just absolutely incredible in these games. Every monster 
has its own personality. And when I'm actually fighting them, um, every encounter plays out a little bit differently. And it so seamlessly plays into the actual level geometry and everything. And it's funny because I went into Elden Ring kind of feeling like, yeah, I, I can handle Elden Ring. I've been playing Monster Hunter for God's <laughs> sake. Because Monster Hunter will really punish you if you mm -hmm. don't actually pay attention to the the monster movements. Everyone, all of them have like special abilities. Uh, you are encouraged to kind of update your build to be able to handle individual monsters. It's, it's great stuff. And if you've never played it, um, well, this is your reminder to pick up Monster Hunter Rise because the expansion's coming out. We're going to get Master Rake pretty soon, along with a handful of quality of life improvements, like uh, being able to uh, easily scale cliffs, a lot more easily scale cliffs than you could in Monster Hunter Rise. That was a real pain <laughs> before. But yes, that, that's what I've been playing. I've been catching up on my Monster Hunter world, Iceborne. I love how translatable the skills from uh, Monster Hunter translate into Elden Ring as well. Like, yeah. like you said, there's mm. just so many things about your timing for blocks, timing for dodges, you know, looking for openings in attacks. Like you can't just run up and attack a monster in Monster Hunter or Elden Ring because chances are they'll counter or they're just going to punish you because they have uninterruptible attacks. Yeah. And like, so like, it's such a great, like, I love that people who are playing both are seeing those similarities both games teach you that getting greedy will kill you yes <laughs> uh, on the flip I wish side, I... if you're really good at it and you're just completely wrecking that monster oh it feels so good <laughs> it does i wish i hadn't fallen off monster hunter but i did i get, i i played it more than i've ever played a monster hunter monster hunter rise <sighs> yeah did you get to the end no how's the i got to set? We talked. I think we talked about it before. the The part where you have to like guard your base. I got mm. to that part, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Well, I'll come back to this." And I just never, just never. Not my favorite moments, unfortunately. Yeah. I think that that mode shines in co op, but in single player, just it's so tedious. Okay, I'll have to mm. try to reconvince my youngest son to play with me <laughs> again, since he really, really wanted it. So I was like, "Well, well, I'll buy you a copy too, buddy. We can play together." And then he never. <laughs> oh. Never Kids. It, so. Yeah, well, anyway, Jada, what have you been playing lately? I've been playing Neo, The World Ends With You. I am working oh, nice. my way through. I'm on towards the end of second, the second week right now. I am doing a challenge where I am playing the game purely at level one, because in that game you can you level up, but you can reduce your level to increase your rewards after every fight, which means your stats tank when you're at level one. Um, the good news is, though, that you can eat a bunch of food before every battle. And as you finish those food, you you get stats. So like my, my stats are still climbing, but I'm nowhere near as powerful as if I was fighting at my level like 68 character that I should be currently. So I'm currently fighting 67 levels below my weight class. Um, but wow. I'm having a blast. I love the soundtrack for this game. I love the world for Neo Ends World, world Ends With You. The combat is great. The characters are awesome. I just I really loved the DS one back in the day. It's by far my favorite DS game that ever released, um, oh, wow. and I'm just so excited to play more into the story. And I I hope that Square Enix doesn't. I I feel like they considered this one somewhat as a like a not a success story when it comes to sales as well as mm -hmm. a lot of their other Western titles. Um, but I I just really hope that it continues to build its fan base because it just it is so amazing. Um, I just. I can't get enough of the soundtrack. I 
I listen to the soundtrack like nonstop. Um, and then Octopath Traveler. I jumped back to Octopath Traveler yeah. um, because I fell off of it when it first launched because I was making content around it. And then I was like, okay, I'm done making content around this. So <laughs> I'm going to move on to the next game because I'm making content for this game. Um, so I'm finally diving back in. Um, I think I'm only like level 20 or something like that. So I'm still very early. Uh, but I'm enjoying it. I really love Octopath. So yeah. that's me. The battle system in Octopath Traveler is like one of my favorite. That's all it takes for me. Just give me a, a cool, interesting battle system, and I will play your game for 80 hours. Uh, yep, yep, same yep. Same with Bravely Default 2. Oh, that's actually a game where I f- it felt like sometimes like you were breaking it because you mm-hmm. would just figure out ways. And it's like, no, you're not. Yeah. They expected you to do this. But... So good. Such a good game. I loved yeah. it so much. I might have to go back to that. I got wildly was... hooked on Bravely Default 2 around this time last year. Oh, yeah. Reb also would uh, yes. like slack me and to talk about it because I reviewed it. So I had already like played through it by the time it came out. And so Reb was like, oh my God. But yeah, it was, it was a fun time to talk I actually, about video games. I actually have a big question for you guys about Bravely Default 2. So I played the demo so, prior to it launching and I was mm-hmm. feeling like performance issues on my Switch. Like I was having some weird like movement issues. It just didn't feel right with the camera and everything. Is that something you guys ever experienced or is it just my brain? And I'm just for some <laughs> getting older, and that game just triggered something weird. Uh, well, as the oldest person here, uh, I I can say that no. Okay. I think uh, I I didn't have any of those problems in the main game that I can recall. Okay. Now, as an old man, I I have problems recalling. <laughs> so. There there is a PC version, so if you wanted to try that, you oh, could yeah. see if that performance That's- was the issue. That's a good point. I should definitely try that because I played the DS one and I love the the original on the DS. Yeah. And so like I was really hyped for two. I was like ready to pre-order. I downloaded the demo and I was like, why does this feel like it's playing so weird? I can't jump drop 50, 60 bucks on this right now with mm-hmm. this the first first impression. So I'll definitely try the PC version. It's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like I really like the the DS and 3DS ones, but like the, the Switch one is just it was everything that I wanted it to be. It's so much better than the other two which i never actually ended up finishing the other two i got mm. sidetracked like uh doing my game pass or game pass uh street pass stuff and then in the second one i made you're supposed to make those like yarn balls or something and i i don't know i spent a lot of time maxing all of those out and <laughs> never doing anything with it but <laughs> hey imran what have you been playing lately uh speaking of reb she and i have been playing uh kirby in the forgotten lands and we got nice. to we've done mo- the post game up to i think what is the final boss of the post game and it is such a surprising difficulty like it never gets hard but it gets enough that's like why is this game suddenly challenging me and pushing me back in a way i did not expect it to so we we're at that point we are trying i think we tried about three times before she was like yeah i'm done for right now <laughs> so we're we're going to probably beat that at some point soon we've been playing it co-op the entire way and i don't know that i think the co-op in that game is that good because yeah. I have been playing as Kirby, and she does. She's been Waddle Dee. It feels asynchronous in a way that I don't think is like, like. I feel bad that she's not having as, or she probably isn't having as much fun because I get to do most of the fun things in that game. Like all the mouthful modes are me. Like, uh, yeah. the camera only focuses on Kirby. If you are, if you have to run across anything or use a power for anything, she just kind of like stands in the background and just waits for me to do it. And that's like. <laughs> that kind of sucks i wish that the game had a more symmetrical design for its co-op because it should 
Honestly, they've done the multiple Kirby things before. I'm surprised they didn't do it this time. Or if they were going to do co-op, they should have probably designed it that way from the beginning. It's not yeah. like game ruining, but I, I wish it were better. I think primarily it's younger sibling or young, I have a young child co-op mode. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. here you go. You can't mess this up too badly. I'll do all the fun stuff. <laughs> you just dance along behind me. So Yeah. I also, in a post-Elden Ring lull, I've been looking for any game to play, so I went back to Astral Chain. And I don't remember why I put that game down before, but I like it a lot. I, I ended up really liking it. I finished it now. There's a part in the middle that I think is just so incredibly tedious. There's, like, stealth sections. There's, like, time sections. There's no way they intended you to do that, those well the first time around, and that just kind of feels bad but the game looks so good it feels really good to play it like once you get over the controller like complications because this is one of the most complicated controller games i've ever played uh it actually i do think it does come up there as one of platinum's better games and the final couple of bosses i think are the most visually interesting they've ever done they're like as someone who loves bayonetta and think bayonetta is one of my favorite games of all time i'm i feel like visually this game has makes Bayonetta three have to live up to a lot because there's some really interesting wow. stuff there. I, yeah, that it, I that's one of those games that I keep meaning to buy for multiple reasons. I I'm I love Bayonetta two, and I also like I know that I'll love this game, but also I I feel like this will be one of those ones that's collectible. And I'm the worst <laughs> for that. So yeah, sweet. Uh, I have been playing Switch Sports. In fact, I've just been hey. playing mostly been playing bowling with my wife who is astonishingly good <laughs> at at switch sports bowling she uh her high score is 205 and uh oh. i have not broken 200 yet and she just like lines up and just does it and rolls a strike she got a four bagger on like the second game that we ever played meanwhile i'm trying to do all the fancy hooks and get it to come in sideways and hit that sweet spot and i'm just doing a, a bad job so we played that till our arms got sore which was fun and we've been playing it a lot and I'm, I'm really liking it. I'm, I'm probably only going to play bowling because I just loved Wii sports bowling. And I love this bowling because it feels almost identical. We did this, the sword fighting that was fun, but I feel like the matches end too quickly on that. And we haven't done any soccer because we're afraid of <laughs> kicking our television. But other than that, I'm still on my classic games kick. I've been playing, you know, Faxanadu still grinding my way through that game even though it's not a great game it's a game that i love i also bought right here a copy of the original dragon warrior which is the game if i can get it to focus which is the game that made me fall in love with role-playing games this is the first role-playing game that i ever played so i popped that in i started a new game the battery in this by the way still works so like some guy named jeff i have his um game on here too However, Dragon Warrior, not easy to return to. I forgot there's things like you can't just walk through a door. You have to walk up to a door, choose door from the menu, and then go through it. So Same with stairs. Yeah, and stairs and like <laughs> item and talk and everything about it is very slow and difficult. I don't know if I'm going to stick with it. Mostly I got it for the nostalgia because, I, like I said, this was the first role-playing game that I ever played. And also because it was eight dollars, and mm. I thought, well, that seemed like a pretty fair price to pay. And then if the battery had uh, not been working, then I had the plans. I was like, well, now I'm going to replace that and have that 
in my repertoire of skills. So, yep, I'm still on that uh, classic gaming garbage tip where I have to play on my CRT television on the original hardware because I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm thinking about if how, how how to stream that. I'll put a camera over my shoulder at the CRT, which is sitting right here. I'm not, I'm not actually going to do that. So. There it is. There Boring. To actually, make it work without having to do an off-screen camera. Yep. Yeah. Wait. Say that again. You can do it. You can stream without from your CRT without using an off-screen camera. I think a frame meister would work actually. Oh yeah. yes, uh, but I would I would need to mod my NES to have RGB out, mm. and I don't have a frame meister. It's one of my <laughs> get a Amicom AV that has the. Uh, the AV outputs. Oh, that's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Talk Make to Jeremy Farish. He, uh, he figured it out. He's managed to uh, capture directly from practically everything at this point. I know. It's pretty astonishing. If you don't know, Jeremy Parrish uh, works for Limited Run Games uh, on the Retronauts podcast. Uh, another industry legend. One of my favorite people. He's always been so nice to me. Uh, and talk about a sharp-dressed man. My mm. God, makes me look like a bum, but so does everybody for, to be fair. All right, question block. We have several questions this week. First one, a little bit of a softball, but I thought I'd include it anyway. And this is from Jackson Hampton. On the Switch, we have NES, SNES, N64, and Genesis. Which classic set of games do you want to see come to the Switch next? I think the obvious choice is the Wii U. Oh, we already got that. <laughs> we already got all the Wii U games on the Switch. So. No, real time. I would love it if they put game, uh, GameCube games. Mm. That's what the Wii U shade. I know. We just, we did, we totally did a uh, a Wii U love show. I love the Wii U. Games. I mean, I'm just stating facts here. All the games <laughs> yeah. that were great on Wii U are also well. Most of the games that were great on Wii U are on. Nintendo I don't see Switch. any Xenoblade Chronicles X over here. Well, or okay. Nintendo I'm Land saying. or NES Remix. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but no, I would love it if Nintendo did a direct and they're like, uh, Expansion Pass can have Game Boy Advance and GameCube, and which is yeah. actually the two examples that Jackson gave. So, I'm I'd curious. actually like Wii games because I feel like we're oh yeah, we're, you know, we're coming to a situation where Wii games are going to be lost to time because yeah. they they were not available digitally. They were only available or working on one system with a specific kind of controller. So if at some point those controllers no longer work, then we're never going to play those games again. Like, there's a bunch of stuff. Like, I'm wearing a Punch Out shirt. We're, where's Punch Out Wii? They've never oh, re released that in any way. So like, good, mm -hmm. too. There's games like Zack and Wiki, Fragile Dreams, stuff that, like, Aburo Muramasa, like, games that I think would be really good to re release. Uh, that's on Vita, too, but still, like, would be good to re release on stuff now. That I, I, even if they had to port them I, for modern control systems or whatever, or use the Joy Con as a weird emulation of the Wii, like, I would love it if they could just bring those games back in some form. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that Switch Sports has shown that the the Joy or yeah, the Joy-Con motion controls are pretty good actually. So maybe they could bring Wii. That would be that would be awesome. That punch out. That Wii punch out. I waited a long mm -hmm. time to get that. And I finally got it when it was like very cheap. Yeah, my well, and I was like, why did I sit on this? This game is fantastic. Great. So, if you wanted Blast Joe's tragic backstory, just play Wii on <laughs> Punch Out on Wii. His tragic backstory is that he's French and weak. Like, that's it. <laughs> that's literally what the movie says. It's like, they he's just like really little, weak. 
They have little cutscenes. It's lovely. <laughs> I have a I have a pair of Little Max uh boxing gloves, like the green boxing gloves, in my, hanging in my closet for cosplays and stuff like that. I love <laughs> love oh. Punch Out. Nice. Um, I think for for me, uh, Wii wise, I would love to see. It's a very small like third party game called Dokapon Kingdom. Mm. If you haven't played this game, it is basically Mario Party mixed with an RPG. So four players. You have a board that you move across like Mario Party, but it's an RPG. There's quests that you have to do. There are shops where you can go and buy gear. You can also choose to rob the shops um, in a game of rock, paper, scissors with the in, with the NPC shopkeep. If you win, you get to rob them blind for whatever they had in their shop that time. If you fail, he puts a massive bounty on your head, and the other players in the game, if they land on, their sp on your space, they can duel you to not only... Um, claim the bounty put on your head oh but this also game. yeah 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 but also they get to impose some type of a um disadvantage or penalty to you so some of them let you change the other player's name you can draw on the other player's face you can take like gear or money from them like it is just amazing and like all the battles are done rock paper scissors style um not rock paper scissors sorry there's like attack defend and like speed if i remember correctly um, and so you, you're just kind of competing in that in all these battles. And it's just so great. Yeah, like that. You can deface your enemies, literally draw on their faces. So when they're going through events and stuff like that, like they just have whatever you chose to draw on their face. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Dokapon Kingdom was um, just such a great game. I love playing that with friends. And then uh, Game Boy Advance wise, I, I would like, I'd love to see the Mega Man Battle Network series. I mm. love Mega Man Battle Network. Um, so I'd love to be able to replay those on my Switch because I feel like those would fit so naturally right now. I think it's the only Mega Man series that has not had a collection of some sort in the last two decades. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it'd be really tough to kind of do a collection. I mean, not tough, but like they're all virtually kind of the same game. Like, you know, when you get collections of a lot of different types of games, you get like, you know, Mega Man 1 through 9 and or 10, like those... They're the same game, but they're very different. These ones all felt very same, but just different puzzle types and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I loved the Battle Network series, and so I would really love to be able to revisit those via the Switch. Um, you have three more days to buy it on the Wii U. Oh, I just, I just, I just dropped two hundred dollars on the Pokemon Store, so I guess <laughs> I'm about to. So if if you can see my full camera, you can see my massive thirty-one inch Piplup. You can feel like feel free to. Uh, Full screen on me. Whoa. You see the, my massive 31 inch Piplup, the large Bulbasaur, the little Piplup, DJ Turtwig, because he's got headphones on. <laughs> um, Snorlax, and then there's an EV down there as well. This is my Poke family. Um, I also have the like, Arcanine that is on the way in the next month or two, which is 59 inches. So I have no idea where he's going to live. Um, but they just released a bunch of new uh, hats and stuff like that. So I bought a new, couple new hats, I bought some new socks. Um, I finally, they finally restocked the unown plushes um, because they have one for each different letter. So I got my gamer tag um, in unowns that I will eventually, when I move and have a better space, I'll have them hanging on a shelf um, behind me and it'll spell Jade Arena right behind me. That is spelled amazing. in Pokemon oh. letters. So, but yeah, I guess Nintendo's getting a lot more money for me because I have to go do all my Wii U shopping this week now. Yeah, you better hurry. Cool. Thank so, you, Imran, for the PSA. reminder. My <laughs> pocket card jockey. Yeah, what what uh, what classic games would you like to see? Set of games, rather. 
I'm still waiting for Game Boy to materialize on the Nintendo Switch, mm-hmm. and when it finally does, I want all my Pokemon games on it. Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen yeah. 3, hello? Ooh. And I would love to have it be compatible with Pokemon Stadium on the Nintendo yes. 64 expansion yes, pack, because yes, yes, yes. I just want to play through Pokemon Stadium 2 again. It was so much fun back in the day. Lots of fun challenges. It looked pretty good graphically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could play through... Uh, OG Pokemon games at like super high speed through the Game Boy Tower. Yep. Yeah, it was good stuff. So that's uh, that's kind of my wish at this point. And then if it can all tie into Pokemon Home, uh, so much the better. Even better. The um, I know that the Game Boy, or excuse me, the Wii U release of uh, Red and Blue did tie into, or, I'm sorry, 3DS version tied into Pokemon. Tied into, yes. Uh, it, it did tie into it, so you can technically get them over if you have the pokemon home premium plan as we've established and everything (laughs) but um we're getting to the point where as we were all just talking about it won't be easy to get those games anymore so if you don't already have them on the 3ds hurry up so you can get you know your pokemon crystal monsters over onto pokemon home i know i'm gonna be full of regret for not buying a bunch of games but i also know at the same time i would buy them and not play as soon as I log off here, I'm going to go jump on my 3DS and pick up Persona Q2. Oh, that's a good. That's nice. a, definitely a good yeah. pickup. That's going to be really rare pretty soon. Yep. I'm so glad you said Pokemon Stadium and stuff. I was I wanted I meant to I was going to bring that up at the end of our Pokemon Bank se- section. I was like I loved playing Pokemon Stadiums and transferring all this stuff. Like I've transferred. I made. I managed to get something from like blue or red all the way to I think like sapphire or emerald back yes. in the day. And it, like I was like through transferring and all that type of stuff, it was weird. But uh, I was like, I was like, I need to get them. I was trying to get them to like X and Y in the X Y generation, and they, for some reason, something stopped me. But yeah, it was my oldest Pokemon is from Fire Red and Leaf Green, circa like two thousand four, wow. and I just managed to make it all the way through this incredibly circuitous route to Sword and Shield after nice. all these years. Amazing. Yeah. Still use it too because in Sword and Shield you can go and change their personality you can go and change uh all of their stats and everything so now he's actually usable too it's a gengar (laughs) gengar Gengar. how dystopian i've brought this gengar in from the past to (laughs) change its personality (laughs) mind wiped yeah i mean gengar wants to murder me in my sleep so i don't feel that bad about it (laughs) gengar rules i'm a big fan all right unfortunately though that is all the time we have for this week's NVC, make sure to follow us on Twitter at NVC Podcast. Submit your question block questions to the NVC Facebook group, which you should join. It is unofficial. Someone will have to let you in. Just knock three times on the door and say the secret password, Sarsaparilla, and they'll let you right in. Imran, thank you for coming on. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at ImranZoomG or on fanbite.com, where I just wrote a very long story about the shuttering of the indie studio phenomena, which I encourage people to read. Excellent. I will check that out. Uh, oh, also, Jada, thank you for joining us uh, this week. We always appreciate you having you on. And Red on the ones and twos could not do it without you. Most of all, thanks to you all for hanging out with us. Remember, NBC is the only place where you can get the thing. Get the thing. Get the thing. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.